0: Well, I I wanna jump in this morning to a very familiar chapter of of the Bible. In fact, if you've been around the church for for any time at all, you're going to be familiar uh, with with this chapter. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so maybe when you hear 1 Corinthians 13, you're like, oh yeah, that's a love chapter. We're gonna jump into the love chapter. Out of curiosity, is there anybody here that had first parts of 1 Corinthians 13 read at your wedding anybody anybody oh yeah 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 okay like, like my hands up too like that it's a very it's a lot of times read at weddings and there's nothing wrong with that but it's interesting that the very first context in which it was given was not between a husband and a wife it was literally given to a church And so what I'm going to share today is going to be uh, something I think is very relevant. And here's why. I have found over my, over 20 years of being in ministry that I, in fact, I don't think I've ever met a single person that doesn't have at least one of three primary needs. And that is to be loved, respected, and appreciated. I think we all, we all need this. And what I know is that a lot of times those needs or whatever, we, we don't even realize what we're doing to somehow get the affirmation or hear the words or experience whatever it is that we long to do. We, we long for it that sometimes we even go, we do weird things to, to get what we, what we need. We all want to be loved, respected, and appreciated. Now, Here's the thing, when it comes to, when it comes to the, the church, sometimes we get messed up in, in what that looks like to love, respect, and appreciate. In fact, there are a lot of times we make church something other than what it really was intended to be. In fact, when I, when I ask the question, when you think of church, what's the first thing that comes to your mind it's gonna be a variety of different things. It might be a building, it might be a denomination, it might be uh, you know, some sort of institution or, or, or whatever. But, but what we have to know is that what it was intended to be first and foremost at the most basic level, the church is, is nothing more than a group of people. And in fact, it comes from a Greek word, ecclesia, which is a called out people. What are you called out from? We're called out from, from not believing in Christ, to, to being sinners, to being saved and set apart to Christ. And what happens in this whole saving that, that, that happens to this incredible gospel that we would talk about that, that, that God saw our condition, he loved us, he sent Jesus Christ to die for us. And because of what he did on the cross, we believe in his work, not our work to change ourselves and that, that we can have the hope of eternal life. Like all of that, it, it comes down to, to this. We're, we're now Yes, we have a personal relationship with Christ, but more than that, it's a personal relationship that is, that is intended to be lived out in community. And so at its most basic definition, the church is people. People of God called out people, that's us. If you're, if you're saved, we're, we're part of the church. You don't have to be a member of Grace Bible Church, of an institution. You don't have to, you know, I go to church. It's, it's much more than that. If you are saved, you are the church. We are the church. Now, what's it look like to to live this out? Well, this is part of the the issue that that Paul's addressing as he's writing this letter, 1 Corinthians, we've been in this series all summer. He's writing this letter to a a group of people who honestly, most of them probably, if they fit the the dynamics of of Corinth, they've come to Corinth to make something of themselves. Corinth would be to, to, to Rome what we think of when we hear the word Nashville, Hollywood, or maybe New York City. You know, like historically, you go to Nashville if you're going to make it big in country music. You go to Hollywood if you're going to make it big in, in uh, acting, or or you go to uh, New York City if you're going to make it big in finance or whatever. It's a, it's a place that you go to make something of yourself. You're going to be a success. And so Corinth, because it is this very diverse uh, you know, populated uh, city with all kinds of finance. People were coming there to make it big, to, to get rich. You know, they, they wanted to be there. Here's the deal. They showed up. Most of them were pagans. In fact, when Paul Paul shows up, he helped start this church here. And, and there are some that come from a Jewish background, but, but there's a lot of pagans that are getting saved. They have no understanding of who Christ is, but they're hearing the message, responding to the message, getting saved. But But here's the thing. God changes the heart, but he doesn't always immediately change the head. And so some of our ideas on what it means to be successful will just follow us on over because our heart's been changed, but we don't know what it looks like to live this out. And so what appears to be happening in this church based on his letter to them responding to a a previous letter is that, man, they're actually figuring out what it looks like to be a quote-unquote successful Christian, they're all about success. We want to be successful, man. We want people to look at us. Like we got it all down. And so they're, they're actually picking teams. Like, yeah, well, I'm, I'm part of Apollos team. I follow him. Uh, others are like, yeah, well, I'm part of, uh, I, I got another denomination. I'm part of Peter's team or I'm part of Paul's team. And he's like, what are you? No, no, no. We're all part of Christ's team. Like, like there's only one team here and it's Christ. Well, even beyond that, man, the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell with us is salvation, because honestly, he's continuing to transform us. He, he gifts us and he's preparing us, changing us, but also preparing us to be used in, in ministry. But all these gifts that they're having, instead of using them for the right reasons, they're actually looking at their different gifts and comparing and contrasting gifts and like, hey, yeah. What gift do you have? Uh, Oh, oh, yeah, well, no, I've been given the gift prophecy. Uh, That's what I got. And so literally what they're doing is they're using these gifts not as a means to be part of one unified mission, but no, they're using these, even the gifts that God's given them as, as a means for saying, hey, look at me. Me, 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 I, 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 me, yes, all about me. And so Paul's like, oh, what are you doing? And in chapters 12 through 14 of 1 Corinthians, he's just telling them, it's not what you think it is. It's not about you. I'm getting that t-shirt someday. Like we're all going to wear it. I'm passing out for free. We're going to walk out. Grace Bible Church. It's not about me. Like we're going to wear that. I'm going to wear it right there with you. In fact, What Pastor Matt looked at a couple of weeks ago is that, no, we're intended to be a unified church, that that we are a people who are called out, but we're on mission together. And what God has gifted in us is not meant for our glory, but for his. It's not meant just for our good. It's meant for the good of the people that God has put us on mission with. And so he's writing to them and He's trying to remind them what this is all about. And this is where we jump into, again, 1 Corinthians 13, not looking at this as a message to a married couple, but as a message to the church. Called out people, every person has a calling, every person's been gifted, every Christian is a member, all, all of that sort of thing. And he's, he's, gonna, he's gonna paint a picture that's just different. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to write down the big point. If I'm gonna summarize what Paul is going to, what he wants them to understand, it's gonna be this. Christ's love expressed through his church has unlimited potential. Christ's love expressed through, in fact, I'm gonna add a word in here, expressed through his unified church has unlimited potential. And after he's, he's, you know, described all the different gifts. He talked about how we're all members, one, it's like a body. It, we need every one of us. It's not just about you, it's not just about me. All of us are part of the body. He says this at the end of chapter 12, verse 31. He said, Earnestly desire the higher gifts. What he's saying is all these gifts that he's presented, that's not the pinnacle. He says that there's a higher gift, he said, I will show you a still more excellent way. You're like, Oh yeah, brother Paul. Come on, show me that shortcut. Where are we going? And here's what he says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Interesting. If I have prophetic powers, I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. Paul, you're a little rough there. I mean, come on, man. Like, Dude, I've been the star. I'm the person everybody turns to in our Bible study. What are you saying? He's saying you don't have love. You don't have anything. If I give, up, if I give away all I have, if I deliver it, my body to be burned, but I have not love, I have nothing. What he's saying, he said, I don't care. Like if you're passionate enough to just, you're willing to die for your faith. There's a story about a monk from India that appeared before Caesar Augustus about 19 BC. And he wanted to show, he, he wanted Caesar Augustus to know how passionate he was for his faith. There was a fire close by and he shared what he believed and he jumped on a fire and, and died. And literally this would have been, they would have known about this. This would have been, at the, there was actually a tomb where, uh, where it was described, it has his name. And the fact that, that he, he died he set himself on fire to show how passionate he was for his religion. Paul's like, no, that's not, that's like, you, you can have all passion in the world, but if you have, if you don't have love, you don't have anything. In fact, what he's saying is this, the Christian life, theology, what you believe, all of these things, what it comes down to a Christian life minus love equals zero. That's, that's church math right there. Christian life minus love equals zero. I got a question for you. How many, anybody out here, you're a drummer. Let me see your hands. If, you play, if you've played drums, maybe you played drums at some point, raise your hand. I'm not recruiting you for praise team. I'm not gonna put you on a platform. How many of you, okay, I see this hand. How, how many of you um, had kids that played drums? Let me see your hands. Okay, we'll pray for you. Cause I, I'm telling you, I, I'm a drummer. Like I, I'm a drummer. Like literally my parents, um, God love them. Went through a season of life that was terrible. <laughs> if you think your kid learned to play the piano it was one of the worst things in the world, or playing the recorder. That's pretty bad, the recorder's right there. Them learning to play the drums might be at the top of a thing that will drive a parent to the edge of utter insanity. You know what I'm saying? What what Paul is actually, I'll just demonstrate. (laughs) Guys, don't get too excited. So, you know, Playing drums, you know, you use, we got a full set here. I played timpani and orchestra. And so, you know, you you have. That's that's not bad, like in the context of everything. Now I will tell you, just drums, like if we had a, our praise team show up and all the other musicians didn't show up that day we just had a drummer. Justin is an incredible drummer. Taylor's an incredible drummer. I'm going to tell you right now. We're not going to be singing just with drums. You know what I'm saying? We'll do a cappella. But imagine this. Your kid comes home from school and they tell you that they've signed up for band. You're like, oh, great. What instrument are you playing in band? And they're like, they needed somebody to play crash cymbals. And you're like, okay. And they're like, and they asked me to practice at least an hour every night after school. After a while hearing. You are going to lose your ever loving mind. Now listen. What the apostle Paul is saying. Symbols are a wonderful thing in context. But if the only thing that you hear is a symbol, it's gonna drive you crazy in the same way, a church where all, the, where all you're given is just knowledge or talent or the different gifts, everybody's speaking over everybody else and I'll pray for you and all that sort of thing. And, and it's minus... Love. It is just as annoying eventually as your thirteen-year-old kid learning to play crash cymbals in the marching band. And and listen, man, I'm no, I'm nobody in in terms of like I I don't have like some major influence around the United States or anything. Okay, I'm just another local pastor with a. We have so many awesome pastors that are here in, in, in the valley. I just get to get be part of this, the people that are here. But I, I would say this, there are times that the church has lost its way here in America because we bought into this idea of church that is all about buildings, it's all about budgets, or it's all about talent, giftedness, knowledge, nailing everything about the right theology. And listen, all nothing wrong with that. At some point, we're, we're gonna have to build. At some point, I mean, you don't say like, those things in the prop, proper context are a good thing. When it becomes the thing, it's nothing more than a clanging symbol. And what Paul wants the church to understand and what guys we need to understand, if revival's gonna start, I pray it starts right here at Grace Bible Church that all of this Christian life, all the Christian talent, all the Christian theology minus love equals zero. We need love love in our homes, but we need love in our church. He doesn't stop there. What he does, Paul doesn't just say, okay, this without love is nothing. He he then does what he needs to do. He goes to a place where he describes what love is all about. And it's very interesting that he doesn't define love. He, he describes it. Like there's all, there's all kinds of, 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 of types of love. Like, like for instance, I love my wife. I love my dog. I love the Indianapolis Colts. They do not love me back, but I love the Colts. I, uh, I love good Thai food. Um, there, when we use love, we use that term in a lot of different ways. And so some of us have this, uh, love is this emotion. And so what we do is we spend our life chasing an emotion. I'm gonna tell you right now, emotions come and emotions go. I would, I would actually argue that true love is not defined mostly by an emotion, it's actually uh, defined by what takes place when the emotion isn't there. And what Paul introduces to us as we read, read uh, verses four through seven is, is this, love is a verb. Now, some of you, if you know DC Talk, you're already thinking love is a verb. Love, like you're already thinking that. Well, it was true. What they wrote in the early 2000s or 90s is still, is still true. Love, love is a verb. And love isn't, descri- isn't described by adjectives. Love is, is described by, by verb love becomes love when it acts. If you look through scripture, this is the way scripture presents love. Love is active. Love is active. And man, this is beautiful here. What what he does in the the next several verses, he breaks us down. Man, he gives us a picture of love that not just every husband and wife would be ecstatic if this was true of their relationship. I'm telling you, every single person, if this marked grace, Bible church, we're going to build a lot faster because we're, we're not going to be able to hold this because everybody's looking for this. He, he first goes to a negative side. I want to mean, he, he shows us what it's not and then he shows us what it is when, when we read in verse four, love is patient and kind. And, and right right away, like I read this, I'm like, are you, man, like he goes right to the place that I struggle. Love is patient. I struggle with patience. And, and I am praying to like, please, I have learned in, in marriage like that, that it is not a way to get your wife to move faster, to honk the horn in the garage while you're waiting for her. Like, I mean, that apparently does not go well. And so like, I, I'm learning a, a, few of these, a few of these things, you know. There's a reason why we don't have our church name on the van. But anyway, I, I, what I'm saying is, is like immediately, he just, he just goes right into it. Love is, is, is patient. Love is, is kind. There's this expression of kindness. When, when you think of kind, like right now, I want you to think of a person. When you think of a kind person, don't say it out loud because we don't all know who it is. Think of a person that, that resembles that. Who is a person who is kind? This is what he said love looks like. It's it's patient, it's kind. He said, love does not envy or boast. You see, what was happening was that all these other gifts was like look at me, look at me, look what I what I got. It's kind of like the you know, you buying the Christmas present and unintentionally, but intentionally leaving the price tag on the gift so they know how much you spent for them, so they feel shame for what. You know they got you or whatever. No, it's it's not about hey, look at what I've done. Look at look look how much I care for you. It's not this self thing. It's it's not it at all. It doesn't it doesn't boast. It's not arrogant or rude. This is this is huge. I actually I actually think that that manners are a lost art, not just in the in culture but in the church. It's like well, it's just the way I am. You don't like it? Hey, just deal with it. Excuse me, I, like, like what? This, this doesn't mark us, but, but Paul's addressing this because within the church, it had turned into this, this spiritual arrogance. I'm better than you, I've got this. That is not what we're called to be. We were not saved to point to ourselves at some gleaming trophy in God's trophy room we were saved to get some, to, to put on a football uniform, uniform and get a little dirt and grass stain to get in the game. And yet, it's almost like this, this whole thing. Like, oh, yeah, hey, look at this. You know, I got it. And, and I, I, I think we can unwittingly, perhaps, I hope it's unwittingly, or, or man, sometimes even intentionally, have this whole thing where we take, we take living for Jesus and and what he's done in our lives, instead of living lives of gratitude, it's more like, hey, look what I got and you don't have. And he says, man, no, it doesn't, it's not arrogant. It's, you know, it's not boastful or, or anything like that. He says, it's not irritable or resentful. Hello, that's good. You know, isn't it weird how we can get offended and resent the littlest slights. I think some of that comes from the fact that we're still broken. Listen, there's nobody that's perfect here. And one of the ways I found the Satan is gonna get you to fall is not gonna be that we have drug dealers outside the door when you walk out and you're gonna to succumb to the, you know, somebody selling you cocaine in the church parking lot, It's probably not gonna happen. Well, actually may I don't know if it does, I need to know about it, but I don't think that's gonna be it. What he's gonna do to mess up the church is to get us so focused on ourselves and what we need and what we don't have and how people really don't care that we become so self-absorbed that we become the person who's withholding that from everybody else. What we so desperately need, we hold, we hold it from everyone else. He's like, no, 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 no. This isn't what it's about. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Like, like this whole thing of, of turning prayer request time into gossip time of, of hey man, did you hear what took place? Oh, no. Oh, what happened? Well, we need to pray for them. Oh, I'll pray a lot better if you give me more details. Like I wanted to pray, I I can pray better if I know all the specifics. Shut up! Like that's an issue. Like we got a problem. It's like no, it no we we don't rejoice at wrongdoing. In fact, what we do, we're actually when 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 someone when someone does fall, we're actually not. Oh, I I saw it coming a mile away. That that's terrible. We're we're like we should be what James describes, it's, it's almost like, it's like an EMT. We're going out in ambulances and we're finding the people that are broken that that have, have fallen and, and understanding that, man, if we're part of this, if we've turned, if we've been part of God's plan for loving them and restoring them, if we've turned a sinner from their sins, we've actually covered a multitude of other sins instead of just cutting them off and saying, yeah, you're out of here. We're done with you. No, 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 no. We don't rejoice. He goes on to say, No, instead, we rejoice with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And really, what, if I could just summarize that, church, it's saying this, love believes the best of other believers. It doesn't mean that we're naive, but it does mean that we're trusting. Did you know that you don't have to be naive and you can still trust. Like you just, when you get that email from the prince in Nigeria who has $32 billion and if you will give them a debt, like you, you don't have to give them that money. That's naive. But you can still be discerning and trusting at the same time live in such a way that I'm, I'm not living as a, as a cynic. No, the church is, is all about actively loving. And, and, and it's interesting, this week I did something and it was really painful. And so I would challenge you to do the same thing. I want you to have pain just like me. Every time you see the word love in verses four through seven, I want you to put your name. I did not like what I saw, only because not that this is meant to be some shaming guilt exercise, but 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 what it did is it is it it raises a, a standard what we're called to. I'm I'm going to tell you right now, if all I do is preach here at Grace, you don't need my messages. If I'm not patient, kind, if I'm not rejoicing, like, like literally, if 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 I'm missing this, you, you guys. They need to get rid of me. And, and as, as I was thinking about this this week, it, when you put your name in there, what, what it does is it is a, it's almost like this a, a assessment. Where you're like, oh, this is why I need Christ. This is not who I am naturally. I don't naturally exhibit those things. This is why we desperately need Christ living in us changing us from the inside out. This is why we live aware of, of, of who we are outside of Christ. We don't do that just because we just want to demean ourselves all the time and we're little worms. That's not the point, but it's this recognition that leads to gratitude. If there's anything that he's done in me, if there's any way that love is expressed, man, it comes from the fact that Christ is transforming and has transformed me. In fact, the thing that came to my mind little if you put Christ's name for the word love it's it's synonymous it's it's the same thing it's a portrait of Jesus Christ and I got to keep moving here but his his whole point is this love is not passive church Christ was not passive Christ acted he went to the cross love acts. But then what he does to make sure that the church understands what he's saying is he makes this point. Out of all these other gifts that you're celebrating and you're, you're proud of and, and you know, you're bragging about, you got to know at the end of the day, it's going to be all not because love is going to be the only spiritual gift left in heaven. Do you know that? Think about it. Here's what he says, verse eight, love never ends. It's eternal. As for prophecies, they're gonna pass away. Like, like me preaching, it's, 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 it's gonna be done. I don't need to preach, we're there. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. He said, for we know in part, we prophesy in part. That makes sense. Right now, we have limited revelation. Like there are some things that we're never gonna know about God to we're in eternity, Like if you're like, well, I've got it all figured out. I got an answer for every question. I've got God figured out. First of all, we've got a problem. You're either God or you're delusional. Because if God is truly who God says he is, if his ways truly are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts, then, then there are gonna be some things. There is mystery. And so we preach, there is revelation, but we don't have full revelation. It's only partial. We preach out of what we know. And we point to the fact that one day we will know. And that's why he says, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, you don't teach calculus in kindergarten. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. I I, I moved forward because now I have understanding. I have experience. We've grown here. For now we see it a mere dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know, know fully, even as I have fully known. And, and, you know, it's interesting because in Corinth, they had a mirror in industry. They were known for, they would make mirrors, but they would make mirrors not out of glass as we know them. They, they would make mirrors out of metal and they would they would get a certain type of metal, thin metal. They would polish it, polish it, polish it till it shine. And, and, and so it would reflect, it would reflect, you know, your face as you're looking into the smear. Now, the reality is obviously metal can only go so far. You can only shine it so much. And over time, you know, it'll decay, rust, whatever. You're not gonna see as clearly through metal as you do through glass. Here's the point that he's making. You're you're looking into this metal. You You only see a little bit, but there's gonna come a day when Jesus comes back, thank the Lord, where we're going to know, where we're going to experience all of this that we've been living for. But his whole point that he's, he's making is that spiritual gifts are temporary, they're partial, they're they're elementary, but there's coming a day, the day of Christ, when we're gonna know all that there really is. Instead of being a cloudy reflection, we're going to see the real f- picture and face to face without any limitations, we're gonna have this fullness that we're gonna we're gonna know this in Christ. But the only thing that's gonna happen when we experience that is this: we're going to love. Love is going to be marked. Heaven will be marked by love. And that's why he says, as he closes this beautiful chapter, verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. I don't know that I'm looking forward to 2024, and here's why. It's a presidential election year. And I'm gonna tell you why. If there's ever a time when the people of God stop trusting in God and start talking about, they're putting their trust in men, it's always in the presidential election year. It just gets weird and crazy. But here's what happens. We're gonna have a lot of candidates. You, some of you maybe saw the debate this week, have a lot of candidates that they're gonna dis- describe their platform. And then when they run for president, they're gonna come up with a slogan. And, that, and I mean, they always have some slogan that they're gonna say time and time and time again. And you know, there, there's a, most of the slogans, you can't remember uh, most of the slogans. But for whatever you think of it or for how it was interpreted, I'm gonna tell you, Trump figured it out when he said, make America great again. Whether you like it or hate it or hate his version of it, you remember it. In fact, even now, all you gotta see is M-A-G-A and you know exactly what it stands for. Make America great again. Well, I want to take it a step further. All apologies to President Trump. And I want to say this. I think it's time for us to make church great again. I think it's time for revival. I think it's time for us to turn around from making from making church just a performance, making church just a, a, a business, making church something other than what it was intended to be. And I think it's time for us to make church great again. I'm, I'm here to tell you. What we see from what we just read is, is, is just, it's very simple as this. Love is what's gonna make the church great again. It's gonna be love. It's not gonna be because we've we got these phenomenal teachers and we've got you mean, these, these going deep Bible studies. Good. It's not gonna be because we have incredible talent on the platform, thank God for the talent we have. It's not gonna be because we're sending hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to mission fields or, or supporting this or supporting that. What's gonna make the church great again? is when we get back to what God intended the church to be, a called out people who is marked by active love. That's what's gonna make a difference. People keep asking me, so what was the, what was the big thing that you learned on your sabbatical? What was your takeaway? And I'm sure there are gonna be takeaways that'll show up uh, throughout future messages. But I came, I came back, I met with our team on Monday and I said, hey, I just wanna put your mind at ease because if any of you have ever been on a church staff, you probably dreaded when the pastor went to a conference because like, oh great, he's gonna come back with all these ideas and we're gonna have to do all this new stuff and gonna change everything. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna put your mind at ease. Like I am not coming back with anything new. In fact, if anything, we probably need to stop doing a few things. It was actually the biggest takeaway for me is this, I'll just tell you all so you don't have to ask me the same question over and over biggest thing that God revealed to me is this. He still called me to do what he originally called me to do. He's called me to be pastor here at Grace Bible Church and I love being a pastor at Grace Bible Church. Love it. But he hasn't called me to be a fundraiser. He hasn't called me to be all these different things or to focus on this. He he literally has called me to pastor to teach and preach and love and lead in prayer and and, and literally just just be a shepherd that 's what he 's called me to be. but what I know is that as I've thought about what God has done in fact throughout the sabbatical, I thought about what god 's done here at church. you know for those of you that uh, you've been in fact just out of curiosity, how many of you have been going here uh, to, to grace bible church uh, 10 years or less. You've been under 10 years. Raise your hand. You've been going over here. Okay, all, literally, it's almost all of us. What, what's happened in the last 12 years I've been here as pastor is crazy. And, and it's not me, it's literally God. But, but you know, it's interesting. When I came here, we did not have money. We had $4,000 in the bank. That was it. $250,000 of debt, three salaries, $4,000 in the bank. That'll make a guy pray. Uh, we had... Uh, our, 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 in our, within our first month, we we literally closed down 75% of our ministries because uh, 75% of our ministry leaders resigned. There, there was a season here at Grace where, man, a lot of people, and it was because of a variety of reasons that were way beyond me or any of our staff, um, there was a lot of hurting people. And because of that, We couldn't even love correctly because we were so wounded and hurt. But what I saw God begin to do is what he's still able to do. God began to bring healing and begin to change and begin to restore and reconcile, not just in a spiritual sense, but in a very practical sense, where he began to turn Grace Bible Church from a group of individuals who showed up together on a Sunday to to a, a body of believers, a family who said, we're in this because we believe this. And what God has done is we're not a perfect church by any church's imagination. In fact, right now, if you're like you're new today and you're looking for a perfect church. Honestly, I'd get your stuff and get out right now. We're gonna mess you up because we are not a perfect church. I promise you, I will let you down. I'll unintentionally say something stupid. Um, somebody will forget to say hi on your way in. Like there are times we'll, we'll, we'll blow it. But I believe what God is wanting grace and he's continuing to work is, is a group where it's not just about, I'm gonna, show in, I'm gonna show up, I'm gonna be a spectator to show. I'm going to get a little bit of Jesus, feel good about myself. I'm going to go home. I'll live my life. I believe God is calling us to be a family, not just a family in name, but a family indeed. deed. And you know, it's not important guys, that, that I know everyone that attends Grace Bible Church. In fact, it's not important that you know everyone that attends Grace Bible Church. It's important that everyone knows Jesus, but it is important that everyone is known. It's important, and, and guys, this is why, I, I'm gonna tell you right now, I'm gonna just tell you, like, like, if you've been going here, you're like, man, I just can't get connected. I can't get involved. I, here's, here's what you need to know. We're not a perfect church, again, but we do have things that, you, ways to get plugged in. We've got an incredible next-gen ministry that meets on Wednesday nights. We've got, we, we have recessed 24-hour prayer retreats where, where you can go out and, and, and with 10 or 12 people uh, you know, guys with guys, girls with girls, you, man, you'll, you'll spend time with Jesus. And, and it's not just what's gonna, you're gonna hear from God in the 24 hours that transforms you. It's the relationships you're gonna build. We've got life groups. And by the way, if you get in a life group and you're like, I'm with a bunch of weird people, they probably feel the same way about you. Get another life group. Like it's fine. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but life groups, man, they exist where, where we can grow together. We can, we can go deep. We're we, literally, we can be the body. Listen, in any church, it doesn't matter. The, like you can, you can have a church of 50 people and, and, and still not have this, this family. It's not the number that matters. It's the intentionality of, of what happens with the people that are there. And guys, even, you know, like you don't know where to start with life groups. We've got our Gather and Grow that's gonna be happening in the next, uh, the next couple of weeks where you can show up on a Sunday, find ways to get plugged in. I, the, the reason we have this is not to put more things on your calendar. The reason why I think this is important guys is God has called us to be the church. He's called us to love, he's called us to go. And the person that's walking, that's driving by the church, that is broken, that is hurting, we, they do not care one thing about Grace Bible Church, unless somehow through someone else, they find out this is a place where they'll experience the love of God. And guys, love is going to start within the church before it ever leaks outside the church. And that's why Paul wanted this church to know all these other things. You think of the the marks of of a great church. No, what it comes down to is love. And man, the church in which Christ's love is being expressed is a church that has unlimited potential. You're the church. I'm the church. Let's walk in love. God, God allowed John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write this. He said, how can you love a God whom you've not seen if you can't love your brother or your sister whom you do see? Guys, love is active. Let's live this. Let's be part of a revival, a revival that starts with the love of God. Father, thank you for what you're doing here at Grace, for the incredible things that I see in the stories that I hear of, 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 how you're even using your people here, like ordinary people. Like we, it's not because we're the most talented or anything like that, but you're just people who are willing to love and care enough to follow up and build relationships with that. Man, there are incredible stories of redemption that are coming through this, but God, what I know is that we all need to be reminded of this. Man, a, a lot of times we want to we want find ways to get out to the parking lot quick, to, to exit, you know before the the prayer's over or anything like that. just you know, I don't wanna know anybody. I just wanna show up and feel good. No, God, may may we understand that we have not been saved to live lives of isolation. We've been been saved to to not just be saved to eternal life, but man, to make a difference here that we're on mission. It's gonna happen together and it's gonna start with loving one another and then we're gonna love others. God, may we experience that in our homes, in our church. God, may this transform this community for what you're gonna do through your church as we love. Well, thank you. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said... I love you guys. Love you. Love you. Hey, you will see you next week.